when you are part of a religion that whether outwardly or just woven into the fabric of the belief system is based on violence, of course they're going to protect this over anything else. When do we actually start protecting our kids from all of the harm that's out there? And yes, indoctrination of children is harm. When it comes to something like this, there is no justification for basically shaking down your employees for 10% of their income. If that's the case, then just write their salary 10% lower so you can keep that 10% for yourself. Don't do this. CEO of a church. It is a mega church, but. Just, yeah, but still, let that sink in for just a minute. Yeah. Doesn't any organization that has a CEO have tax obligations? Welcome to Unbound, a podcast for new atheists and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers, and free thinkers. There is life after faith. And life here is good. It's time for a new perspective and a better conversation. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And it's time to get Unbound. You know, right now, I feel like Eugene Levy and Splash. Oh, gosh. What a week I'm having. Oh, my <laughs> goodness, people. Be thankful that you're you and not me right now. I mean, it's not anything life-changing or catastrophic or anything like that. It's just been a series of petty annoyances that have <laughs> kind of followed me through the week and kind of culminated with some shit yesterday. I'm not going to get into all of my personal details because that's not what this is about. But, you know, I'm feeling just a little bit wired and a little bit tired i just turned into nicholas cage with that one but it's true all of it's true i'm equally wired and tired <laughs> um but definitely thankful to be back here behind this mic right now i find myself back in my favorite place doing my favorite thing and i hope everyone gets something out of these stories and gets just a little bit more motivated to do something about the world the people that make up these stories are creating around us I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And without further preamble, we bring you How Hate Produces Hate, More Misinterpretation of Free Speech, Bigots Seeking Validation, and yes, you do have to pay to work here, in fact, in what I'm dubbing Christians Behaving Badly, The Monsters They're Making Edition. Shell, start us off. What have you got for us this week? Well, as you may have heard, and we are so tired of hearing, there was yet another school shooting this week. This time, it was at the Covenant School, a private Christian school in Nashville, Tennessee. You would think thoughts and prayers might work at a Christian school, but you'd be wrong. Very wrong, yes. This time, six people lost their lives, three nine-year-old students and three staffers. The shooter was armed with two assault-style rifles and a handgun. You can't tell me these people didn't pray. And did it help? Not for six people, I suppose. Thoughts and prayers is such a trite saying. It's something people say when they're not sure what else they can say. It's people who are tired of not being listened to when they shout for gun control and no one does anything. This is from Hemet Mehta's article. Okay. This act of violence occurred at a private Christian school affiliated with the Presbyterian Church in America and run as a ministry of the Covenant Presbyterian Church. As far as religious denominations go, very few are more conservative than this one, especially on culture war issues. 
I say that only to point out how this was not a school lacking in prayer. They prayed all the time. Yesterday's school day even began with a chapel service. As most of them do. Mm. You know, they're supposed to have this quote-unquote hedge of protection around them. Yeah. How did that work out in this instance? I'm pretty sure we know. Mm. It worked out with six people losing their lives. And yet, when asked to solve these problems... Christians and Republicans alike simply chant thoughts and prayers as if it will bring the dead back to life or stop bullets from killing people. Louis Gomer of Texas said, if we heard more prayers from leaders of this country, instead of taking God's name in vain, we wouldn't have these mass killings like we didn't have before prayer was eliminated from school. Kenneth Copeland, Mike Huckabee, and a plethora of others have continually blamed the 1963 decision that took forced prayer out of public schools for all the increasing number of school shootings. There are so many factors that don't even touch the whole school prayer thing. Oh, yeah. I could get on a major soapbox (laughs) over the reasons why I think these are problems. And eliminating prayer from the equation is not one of them. Mm. There are a lot more, and there are a lot of things that are wrong with the way that we do things, especially in the public school system, that I think have culminated in this sort of thing over time. But that's another episode, and I really don't want to get up on that particular soapbox right now. Suffice it to say, the whole notion of, quote-unquote, taking prayer out of schools, which incidentally never actually happened— is not the problem here. It just ended forcing students to hear prayers. Well, yeah, and that was altogether good. Yeah. You know, we do have religious freedom in this country. Yeah. So I should be free to pray my own way to my own God if that is what I want to do. Right. But they always talk about this like it's a bad thing. And with all due respect... It's one thing that from that point until this has actually gone miles toward making things better in certain contexts, certain situations, and definitely in the realm of religious liberty, because you have the right to believe whatever you want. I have the right to not believe it and not have to be subject to it. And that's all that law ever tried to convey. Yeah. Prayer was never taken out of schools. I know, because I used to run impromptu prayer meetings around the lunch table when it seemed warranted. And no one ever said boo. No, of course they didn't. Because that was me, and I may have invited people to participate in these things, but I never dragged them by the collar to it. No. Because that's them. This is me. And even when I felt pressed to do my part for the Great Commission... I also understood the verse that said, well, you know what? If they're not going to listen to you, just shake their dust from your sandals and leave their town. There's always an out that these people don't seem to understand. And, you know, if people don't want to pray with you, um, given your mindset, shake their dust from your sandals and walk away. That's the solution. But the notion that taking prayer out of schools then culminated with these six people dying is ridiculous. Yeah, it's delusional. As Hemet Mehta says in his article, keep in mind that the people calling for more prayer never say that when they actually want something to change. When it comes to elections, Republicans never ask Christians to pray them into office. When it comes to abortions, Republicans never ask Christians to 
pray that people won't have them. They know actions speak louder than words. They know passing bills or installing like-minded judges will actually get stuff done. When it comes to guns, they call for more prayer or mandatory prayer because even they know how useless it will be. Very true. They will do just about anything else in the name of protecting children, banning drag shows and books and the like. But for gun issues, it's thoughts and prayers only. Of course, because that's their mindset. When you are part of a religion that, whether outwardly or just woven into the fabric of the belief system, is based on violence, of course they're going to protect this over anything else. Look what it netted them this time. Mm. We're going to talk more about this later on, but I'm just going to leave that there for right now. You people are really, really, really reaping what you're sowing here. Mm -hmm. And how much further are you going to let it go? That's my question. And now that they've discovered that this ex-student identified as transgender, you know conservatives are just going to point to this as the cause. Even if the ex-student did this for revenge or in anger for how they were treated, it really doesn't change the fact that this person was able to get two assault-style rifles and a handgun quite easily. Prayers are not going to fix one damn thing. No, they're not. And I could get back up on my soapbox about what actually will, but you already know what I'm going to (laughs) say. It takes all of us. It takes those of us who understand just how fucked up all this is to actually do something about it. And I won't play broken record on that. We're going to go right into our next story. And now comes the part where we delve a little bit more into just how fucked up these people's view of free speech actually is. You know, this would have pissed me off as a parent. I'm just putting that out there. I know it's not the school's fault. And I know that they did what they were supposed to do to put a stop to it. But just the simple fact that it happened kind of pisses me off. Yeah. And in tangentially related news, a man who was at a high school in Omaha, Nebraska to pick up some transcripts decided to barge into a cafeteria and start preaching at the students. It's not like people aren't jittery enough these days without having unexpected dude barging into Jesus at them during lunch. These poor choices were executed by 20-year-old Ryan Foley, a former student of the school. While it isn't unusual for students to come by for various business, usually they don't make the bad choice to just decide to roam the halls randomly. I'm not sure why in this day and age they would be allowed to just roam the halls randomly. Yeah. I mean, uh, how many school shootings have there been? Somebody, one of my friends, I forget who, on social media posted a list which may or may not even be complete, of all the school shootings that have happened prior to Columbine forward. And you had to scroll for a while. At what point do we just stop this from happening in the first place? I mean, this guy could very easily have had a gun and opened fire in that cafeteria too. So when do we start learning? When do we actually start protecting our kids from all of the harm that's out there. And yes, indoctrination of children is harm. Yeah. So he may not have used a gun, but what he did was still wrong and it was still dangerous and detrimental and it should never have happened, which is the story behind most school shootings, unfortunately. Yeah. So when do we get smart enough to just not let this happen anymore? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Before he left, 
He stopped by the cafeteria where students were eating lunch and yelled at them about Jesus in Nebraska, as if those kids haven't been inundated with that message all their lives. No shit. And since he was so proud of himself for his bravery, he made a TikTok about it, admonishing others to be bold and courageous about the word of God. And it's not the first time he's done it either. Earlier in the year, another video of him preaching at people in a gym went viral. Yeah, those guys liked it about as much as those kids did. The article about that incident in the show notes, definitely read it. This guy is just the worst. And hopefully we're going to have our little show notes issue taken care of soon. I really hope Still so. having issues with that, folks, just so that we're aware. I don't want to um, I don't want to break up the pace of things, but we keep talking about show notes. We'll get them to you when we actually can. I'm I still don't know what's going on with that. And I'm actually at this point thinking about just buying some web space and putting it up there. Yeah. Because it needs to be there. Yeah, it does. But I don't want to harp on that for too long. But the thing that uh, really gets me about this is that this isn't the first time that he's done it, no. which really leads me to wonder, is this about spreading the gospel or stroking your own ego? Well, it certainly sounds a little bit more like the latter. He does call himself a Christian influencer. Well, they all call themselves influencers, yeah, but you know, ridiculous. how much influence do they actually have and how much positive influence do they actually have? True. But, you know, dude, I don't think it worked. Another TikTok came out from someone else from a different perspective with the caption, how did he just get in? Yeah, that's my question, too. Good question. Showing how the students really reacted. As he started preaching about how he slept with whoever he liked, you can definitely hear giggles. As soon as he mentions Jesus, there is all-out laughter. Add some scattered what-the-fuck faces and head-shaking to taste. As Hammett Meta puts it, he went from some crazy adult to just being, oh, a run-of-the-mill crazy Christian adult. He immediately became a guy who's easy to ignore because he only speaks in monologues. And kudos to these kids for seeing this for what it was. Yeah. You know, I'm guessing that the crowd reaction wasn't a major part of the videos that he was posting. No. So it's just like I always talk about here. The counterpoint matters. Yeah. And we need to make it. And we need to make sure that there's equal time on both sides of these issues. And I really do think that it happened here, which is good. You got varying perspectives and the out and out laughter when the name of Jesus was invoked. That's just gold. Yeah, that's that's not what you want to happen, dude. No, it's not what he was expecting to happen, but it's still gold. Yeah, it is. In a follow-up video, he says he felt called to do it, stating also that sin runs rampant in high schools. Fortunately, this has made the school sit up and reevaluate their visitor safety procedures. Oh, very good. And, you know, you've, you've had how many years since Columbine and the other incidents that occurred before then to reevaluate and reassess how you make your school safe? And this, this is what got you to think about it. Yeah. Really? Might I also add this took place on the same day that the Covenant School shooting took place. The principal, Heidi Weaver, sent out a very tactful and carefully worded letter home, letting the parents know what happened. The body of the letter reads, I am writing to let you know about an incident that occurred at school today. 
During the lunch hour, a former student came into the school for a transcript. On his way out of school, he went to the lunchroom and made some impromptu announcements about religion. A school administrator immediately intervened and escorted him out of the building. This situation disrupted the day and we simply want to keep you informed. The next day, the school district said they were reviewing all of their security protocols. We are reviewing our procedures for visitors who need to access the school beyond the front office. Going forward, some business matters will be transferred to the front office or conducted electronically or by mail. I understand the concern, especially in light of what happened in Tennessee yesterday. And what's happened in countless other schools for years and years and years. And it's some rogue preacher that gets their attention. Jesus Christ, wake up, people. Yeah. Additionally, we always follow through with all legal avenues for anyone who breaches security. This includes being barred from the school premises and working with local law enforcement. It isn't clear what, if any, consequences the impromptu preacher will face, but maybe it will just go to show these students that Christianity is the de facto religion for weirdos who run into cafeterias to yell at people about God. At least it got the district to tighten up their security policies. That's some good. It's some good, but it's long overdue. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, in one of the whitest places in North America. Oh, my God. The bigotry is strong with this one. And it goes to prove the lengths that they'll go to to circumvent any attempt to allay some of that bigotry. So let's talk about this. As our listeners may remember, the state of Maine was involved in a Supreme Court case about that state's policy of paying for private school if there is no public school within a reasonable distance. The state of Maine is often very sparsely populated in some areas. Sometimes a public school isn't available within a reasonable travel distance. The Supreme Court essentially said, in its horrible decision, that the state was forbidden from discriminating against religious schools on the basis of religion, which meant taxpayers could theoretically have to pay for religious indoctrination. However, the state of Maine took steps to nullify this decision in their state. Simply put, rather than stick with the previous law that banned money from going to explicitly religious schools, which was clearly in legal jeopardy, they passed a new law forbidding any taxpayer dollars from going to schools that discriminate against people on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. Because of this new law, only one religious school opted into the program. I guess being a bigot is way more important to the other schools than getting public funding. Doesn't surprise me. Nope. Now the church that runs the Bangor Christian Schools... Cross Point Church is suing the state again because, of course, they are. Mm-hmm. Until recently, the state also exempted religious schools from certain non discrimination provisions to accommodate their religious beliefs. Without the exemption, religious schools are subject to investigations, complaints, and large fines for offering instruction consistent with their sincerely held religious beliefs. This poison pill effectively deters religious schools from participating and thereby perpetuates the religious discrimination at the heart of the sectarian exclusion. So yes, they want to continue their bigotry and still get public money for their educational programs. 
You know, it's funny. When I was a practicing Christian, whether evangelical or other, anti-LGBTQ bigotry was mentioned as the core of Christian faith. The lawsuit also claims that the law isn't generally applicable and therefore legal since it applies to any school that accepts males and females, which means faith-based, single-sex schools that discriminate against LGBTQ people will be eligible for tuition money. If they can have the money, the lawsuit says, we should have access to it as well. The Maine State Attorney General says if they don't like the requirements, they're free to forego public funding. Unfortunately, you can bet these Christian schools won't take this lying down. They need to violate the Human Rights Act. It's their right because freedom. Give me a break. Yeah, I know. These people will do anything to make sure that their voices remain above the din of everything else. But the problem is that there are many, many other entities out there that have counter opinions and are able to provide lucid counterpoints to everything that they have to say. So the only thing that they have to do is just get louder. And this is just another example of that. It actually surprises me that the protections were put in place there to begin with, considering how white and how white evangelical the state of Maine is. I'm amazed that they had this kind of provision in there in the first place. Yeah. But that being said, I'm also not surprised that these people are being taken seriously. And I would not be surprised if they got their way. Yeah. So there is all of that. And I'm going to lead into this last story by saying that there are certain professions out there that sort of kind of require you to pay a certain amount every year to be able to keep doing what you're doing. A lot of professional certifications are like that. Even driving instructors have to thumb the registry 25 bucks a year to keep doing their job. Mm -hmm. And people who do things like beauticians, uh, hairdressers, most of them are paying for the privilege of doing their job. But that falls into the realm of professional certifications and whatnot. And different employers have different views as to who actually should be paying those fees every year. But... When it comes to something like this, there is no justification for basically shaking down your employees for 10% of their income. If that's the case, then just write their salary 10% lower so you can keep that 10% for yourself. Don't do this. Uh. And before I steal any more of your thunder, tell them what I'm talking about. Well, the grifting grifters keep grifting on. A church in Seattle had a class action lawsuit brought against it by a former staffer. Also, I hate this church's name. It's called Church Home. Church Home. Like church and home. You know what I'm hearing there? What? Cha-ching. Yeah. Cha-ching. You're Especially not wrong. in the context of what they're doing here. Yeah. The suit also names its pastors, Judah and Chelsea Smith, and CEO David Crawl. CEO of a church. It is a mega church, but... Just, yeah, but still, let that sink in for just a minute. Yeah. Doesn't any organization that has a CEO have tax obligations? Yeah, you would think. You would think, yeah. Mm. 
The staffer says that the church required her to pay 10% of her salary in order to remain employed at the church. I will let Hemet Mehta explain some more of the story. It's kind of complicated legally, so it's like, yeah. I, yeah, I can't figure out how to do this right. Plaintiff Rachel Kellogg worked at the church for more than two years, starting in 2019. At no point was she told that she would be forced to tithe a minimum of 10% as part of her job, effectively reducing her monthly salary. Mm-hmm. When COVID finally stopped in-person church services, Judah Smith told all staffers that the tithing requirement was still in effect and that some employees had already been fired because they were not tithing. To hammer home that point, he quoted Seattle Seahawks quarterback and church board member Russell Wilson, who said tithing was a black-and-white issue more important than taking communion. He also claimed the Bible said that Christians should give up their possessions before failing to tithe. That's Uh, easy for him to say. I I know. Seattle Seahawks quarterback... That right there translates into seven-figure salary. Yeah. It's easy to say this shit when it's never going to affect you in any kind of adverse way. Yeah. Real easy. Yeah. Again, this was a message to employees, not church members, who are encouraged but not obligated to give. Kellogg said she agreed to let the money be automatically taken out of each paycheck. Unfortunately... What Christians fail to understand is that 10% of salary is all well and good while things are good and nothing bad happens. But this is actual real life, so bad things happen. Kellogg had a serious car accident later that year, requiring medical expenses and a new car to be paid for. In addition to this, she had been forced to take a more expensive apartment since her old landlord did not renew her lease. With all of these issues, she told the church to stop deducting, 10% from her paychecks, for which she was reprimanded verbally and told to change her ways. She told them that she intended to, but she needed a little bit of padding in her bank account, which is sensible, honestly. Yes, I'm sorry, 10% is a lot of money. If you make 500 bucks a week, you know, and I know a lot of people make more than that, but let's just think about someone who's living it at least close to the minimum wage. And I cannot imagine a church paying much better than that. Yeah. So you make 500 bucks a week. That's $50 gone out of your pay per week. That's $200 per month and $2,400 per year. Yeah. That is a chunk. Yeah, Okay. It may not look like much when you just see 10%, but it's a chunk. And it's way more of a chunk than anyone should be asked to part with. Absolutely. It's nefarious to ask someone to do this. It is way, way worse when you tell them that they have to. And we've been in that position. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in just a few minutes. By January of 2022, the reprimand was in writing. Kellogg made sporadic contributions to the church throughout the year, but it wasn't regular and it wasn't 10% of her paycheck. One of her supervisors, Joe Goods, told her in February of 2023 that he'd fallen under hard times in the past too, but he chose to sell his house instead of not tithing. As if that's just a normal thing anyone can do. Yeah, right? She's in an apartment to begin with. Yeah, and she had to move to a place that cost her more 
Right. So I'm guessing that 10% would probably be coming in pretty handy at that point. Yeah. Earlier in the month of March, Kellogg was given an ultimatum. Start tithing in four weeks or you'll be out of a job. This wasn't, in other words, some voluntary act of generosity inspired by faith. This was her bosses telling her that all employees were required to give money back to the company to the point that it said as much in the employee handbook. In other words, it's a shakedown. Yeah. That is what this is called, and it is illegal. Basically, the church was overstating their employees' salaries significantly and lying to the public about how much their employees were getting paid. This is also a class action lawsuit, so other terminated employees can also opt into the lawsuit. The church hasn't said much about the lawsuit, but in a statement to the Seattle Times, Church Holmes attorney Nathaniel Taylor suggests that the tithing requirement falls under the church's First Amendment freedom to hire those who abide by church teaching. To put that another way, the church can legally restrict employment to people who oppose LGBTQ rights. Similarly, they should be able to employ only those who agree to pay the tithe. Unfortunately for Kellogg, the job application doesn't mention that 10% of an employee's salary goes back to the church. They don't hide their bigotry, but they do hide that financial requirement until it's too late to take that into consideration while making the decision to take that job. Yeah, it seems there's no depth too low for this grift to go, is there? Mm-mm. And, you know, this is nothing new. As AG pastors, we were told and told up front that we were required to tithe a percentage to our local church, and a percentage to the general council. Yeah. They even suggested that you tithe to both. In other words, uh-huh. 20%, not 10 but it wasn't required. The one church that I had the displeasure of working for, now keep <laughs> in mind, this place never paid me a dime, Yeah. okay? Until we got to the very end where they took an offering as I was making my way out the door, okay? Mm -hmm. That was the only time I ever got any money from these people. But at one point, apparently, a couple of the board members had decided that it would be a good idea to ask to see the pay stubs from the three part-time jobs that I was working because I couldn't make any money doing what I was doing for them. So I was working three jobs on the outside. And a couple of these people had the audacity to go to the senior pastor and tell him, well, we want to see what he's making to see if he's actually tithing, to see what his commitment is to that. It was one of the few times where I can admire this guy standing up and saying, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah, right. But I was told that it was asked for. And just so that he could save face with the board members that had asked this, because he was he was so lily-livered with these people, it wasn't oh, even God. funny. So just to be able to say that he brought it up, he brought it up. And I, and I in a very diplomatic way, basically told them to go to hell. It's like, <laughs> if we're not going to do things based on trust, then we're not going to do them. That was what I told him. It's like, we're not going to do this if... There's going to be question of my own integrity as it comes to what I do with what I, quote unquote, know to be right in this instance. 
I told him, you're getting 10%. I have no reason or plan to provide proof. This is what you're getting. Take it or leave it. And of course, they took it because money. Yeah, And what else did they care about? So that kind of uh, puts a cap on the stories that we have for you this week. And this week, I am going to end things off just a little bit differently than what would seem the norm around here. You know, I could sit here and talk about how thoughts and prayers is the number one tactic of disassociation these people pull out whenever the ineffectiveness of their God is brought to light. I could expound on what is and what is not free speech, but I've said it all before. I could go off on the indefatigable nature of these people's hatred and bigotry toward anyone who doesn't live their lives under oppressive religious terms and how they whine and complain whenever anyone else asserts their right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness using definitions that don't jibe with their own. And I could shine the spotlight on just how motivated by money they are and how their pursuit of the dollar will always come ahead of the pursuit of being better humans. But I digress. Today... I want us to simply turn our attention to those who lost their lives in Nashville this past week, because regardless of their views, forgiving the fact that they were part of an institution dedicated to the intellectual and emotional abuse of children, let's remember again that A, they are products of an evil and divisive system that victimized them long before they decided to work in a religious education environment, and that three of them were children who suffered the worst form of victimization there is. Three nine-year-olds who will never be able to pursue their dreams, fall in love, have families and careers, and do all of the things that many of us take way too much for granted. Three adults who, at the end of the day, believed they were on the side of right and good and devoted their vocational lives to teaching and guiding young people in their religious traditions. And yes, I'm including the one transgender person who's justified anger at a system that's rigged against them and who saw no future for themselves as a victim here too. You might disagree, and you're allowed. They committed this atrocious act as a means of making their rage toward a system that hates them known to the world. And if I know one thing about hate, it's that it does nothing but create more. It was a hideous and senseless avenue for that rage for sure. But think about where this took place And by where this took place, I mean geographically, not just that it was at a Christian school. Think about where it took place and ask yourself, put in this person's position, would you have any hope that things could ever get better for you? Even with your own government stacking the odds against you at the behest of these small-minded, bigoted fools, would you think that things were ever going to get better? This person was responsible for their actions, and I would have fully supported any justice that would have befallen them had they been taken alive and subjected to due process of law, but they weren't the only one complicit in the act, and I hold the hate-fueled rhetoric of the religious right and the people who perpetuate it with no deference to the people they insult, degrade, and discriminate against as co-defendants. If you support a system that suppresses LGBTQ plus rights and lines you up as an adversary and not an ally, you are part of the problem and it's time to admit that a solution is not only necessary, but within easy reach. That school wasn't a target because of who worked there. It was targeted for what it represents. With that, I would like to take a few moments to read aloud the names of the victims and give us a moment to hear them and recognize that these were human beings whose future was robbed from them. 
Forget what they were for just a moment and concentrate on who they were. Because no matter what they believed, their lives mattered. And none of them deserved to have those lives taken away in this manner. So join me for just a moment to remember them all, the six victims and the assailant who was a victim of this bigoted belief system long before they entered that school with malicious intent. Let's remember Evelyn Dykehouse. Let's remember Haley Scruggs. Let's remember William Kinney. And those were the children, now the adults. Let's remember Cynthia Peake, Catherine Kuntz, and Mike Hill. And yes, we're going to acknowledge Audrey Hale, because as I said, they had many, many, many co-conspirators, from the bigots who pushed them to commit this act, to the flawed laws that put the guns in their hands, to the endless fight by the conservative and predominantly white evangelical right to strip away LGBTQ plus rights and make guns more accessible with less accountability. An individual didn't do this. A flawed religious system in the back pocket of an even more flawed governmental system did this. And what we saw in Nashville this past week was the end result. And there will be more. There will be more. I'm reminded of the song Monster You Made by Pop Evil. This goes back a few years now. It wasn't terribly popular, but it was something that I latched onto at the time. I wish I could just play it for you and let it be the final period on my thoughts about this. But copyright is a thing, so I'll settle for invoking a little fair use here and just recite a few of the relevant lines. And think of this from the perspective of Audrey Hale. Take a good look at me now. Do you still recognize me? Am I so different inside? This world is trying to change me, and I admit I don't want to change with it. And I admit I can't go on like this anymore. Erase this monster I've become. Forgive me for all the damage done. It's not over. Say it's not over. I'm begging for mercy. I'm only the monster you made me. And with that, we also remember Audrey Hale. Let's be ever mindful of the extent of the damage that can be done when religion and politics gain a stranglehold on society, and let's not let it get any worse. Are you angry about the things we talked about today? If so, good. You should be. And we all need to do something about it. I give my Sundays to this cause every week, just like I used to give it to church. And I vote. And I engage in conversations and keep the counterpoint out there. These are just a few of the options that are available to all of us. Find your voice and use it. Do what you are able to do so that the Evelyn Dykehouses, Haley Scruggs, William Kinney's, Cynthia Peaks, Catherine Kuntz's, Mike Hill's, and Audrey Hale's of the world can stop having their lives interrupted over this vile religion that frames love as hate and hate as love and poisons every corner of society with its flawed and dangerous views, even to the cost of human lives, even to the cost of their own. Together, we have the power to end the senseless violence and loss of life that all of this results in, and we have the power to steer our society and our world into a place that brings it closer to getting and staying unbound. We hope you enjoyed 
enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound. Unbound.